Klingon Empire has 50 years of life left to it. To offer Klingons a safe haven within Federation space is suicide. They're animals. Jim, they are dying. And you, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The galaxy stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another? Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace, and you blatantly defy that we haven't fired. According to our databanks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise will not be the instigators of full-scale war on the eve of universal peace. They're coming about. Battle stations. Fights not to win battles. Incoming. Signal our surrender. Captain? We surrender. But to end them forever. <laughs> would consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war. There will never be a better time. This is Captain Sulu, USS Excelsior. We stand ready to assist you. This is fun. You do prefer it this way, as it was meant to be. Warrior to warrior. She cannot take much more of it. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Welcome to 30 Years Later. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chapin. With me, as always, is my co-host. Or, like, another host of the show. Like, look, I, I get the turn to introduce you, and I'm already, like, shitting on you. And I do you want were, to apologize. You weren't doing this on purpose? I thought you were trying to do an impression <laughs> of how I always do it. Honestly, it just came naturally. It honestly Doesn't just it? came naturally. Um, Ricky Camilleri. Yeah, hi, Ricky. How are you? Hi. With us... This week is Ethan Alter. He's a senior entertainment writer at Yahoo. Uh, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I was just uh, <laughs> over here reading some uh, Shakespeare and its original Klingon. So it's uh, yeah. g- 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 the only way to do it, I think, is, is, is what I hear. One of the amazing jokes in this movie. <laughs> and I'm so happy to have you here, Ethan, because this week we're talking about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It's like the last of the original cast movies, technically. Um, and I'm a big Star Trek fan. Ethan, I have heard you are a big Star Trek fan. 
Yep. Yep. Very much so. No, I grew up. I, 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 my first ever Star Trek thing was Star Trek four at age eight in theaters. And that's, and that's what got me Star Trek four. I know not everyone loves that one, but it was like the perfect eight year old movie, eight year old introduction to Trek. I had this thing when I was a little kid, like a little kid in like first grade or something where I would wear, uh, and I lived in Florida. So it'd be like 90 degrees outside. I was wearing jeans tucked into cowboy boots and like a long sleeve shirt. And I would walk around in the backyard all day. And my mom would be like, aren't you hot? And I'm like, no, I'm dressed like Star Trek. <laughs> I'm not hot. Um, but Ricky, you have never in your life seen any Star Trek things at wow. all. Is that right? I've seen a few episodes of Next Generation. Okay. Uh, like super stoned in college late at night with some other people who loved it. Um, I kind of liked it. Um, this. And you've never, say, you've never seen a Star Trek movie before. Never seen a Star Trek wow. movie. And I have to, oh, with the exception of the Abrams ones, okay, um, <laughs> which like those aren't real, those aren't real Star Trek. They're like movies, action, right? Movies, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Am I am I no, wrong I in mean, saying I that? I would say they're. I would. I mean, and Ethan, please, you speak up. I mean, I know people have different opinions about them, but yeah. I, I, my feeling essentially is they're action movies in the Star Trek universe. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, or, or even like separate universe. They're their own oh, universe. Yeah, the JJ universe. Yeah, yeah, the JJ universe. But yeah, no, I, th I think that they, the first one at least feels the most Trekkian because that's when he had actual Trek fans helping him write it. And then uh, you go into, into Darkness and that doesn't feel like much of anything. That's the worst Trek thing that's ever been made. Um, and then Star Trek Beyond has a little bit more of that old school feel because Simon Pegg helped write it and he's an actual Trek fan again. So, but yeah, I, th I think it's fair to say they are definitely action forward. They're not necessarily what Gene Roddenberry set out to make. It's like intellectual allegory, right. you know, exactly. wagon train in outer space kind of thing, yep. right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I will say, so I do have a big soft spot for this movie and I think a lot of Star Trek fans have a very big soft spot for this movie, but it is like definitely maybe the craziest one to watch first out of all the star trek movies it must yeah, have made yeah. no sense to you at all <laughs> like i i felt like i was in a conversation i was at a party <laughs> where everybody was speaking a foreign language <laughs> that i kind of understood but they also didn't want me to listen either but i had no <laughs> choice to listen at times i felt like i like i have a projector so it's like on the wall right. and like at times i was just like I would be, it's sort of that feeling of like when you're driving home from a place that you've driven home from thousands of times where all of a sudden you arrive at home and you're like, I don't remember driving that last five minutes, right? Because it was just, it was just movement in front of your eyes. Like that was kind of what it felt like at times where, but that was for the first like hour. Right. But then once the plot really kicks in, I, I sort of, I got engaged and, oh, okay, I, and I, and I got into it a little bit. Um, a little bit. I could call well because like I feel like it's a pretty obvious plot and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, if you like Star Trek, that makes sense. Like it, that's okay that you would that it's an obvious plot. But I mean, right from the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, okay, it's a conspiracy. They killed their leader in mm -hmm. order to get back at blah blah blah, and like it's going to go all the way up to the top. And I'm I'm excited to watch this play out. Like, let's see who else was involved here. How do they figure it out? Like, it, that sounds that was fun. To me. It's a Cold War hunt for red october type movie but right. in the star mm -hmm. trek universe you know yeah. it's very 1991 right yeah because, i mean no, it is about I mean, the wall falling right like that's basically what the plot is about yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that was the thing they they sort of hung it on. They they said yeah. we need to make we've always had the Klingons as our Russian allegory, so let's let's go there. They, the, the wall had just fallen, so they were going to make that not just allegory anymore, but actually make it text that they were going to actually have to deal with the, yeah. the end of that stalemate. And plus, by this point, the next generation has already been on the, on the air for like five years right. and in that they've already established like the they made peace with the klingons there's mm-hmm. the kitama records so it's like all this stuff has already been written essentially they're just saying like what if we examined this little moment you know right uh, I, again just that way movement in front of my eyes (laughs) (laughs) well the nice thing is you don't have to necessarily know that that that's the part of the next generation story for us like when when we saw the theaters i definitely know when Worf popped up or when michael doran as as a Worf, i was i was so excited i was like oh that that, that is is that leo meme come to life uh, before that definitely 100 percent. really exciting to see it yeah and they even call him Worf, and you're like oh my god (laughs) it's Worf, it's Worf, right exactly yeah moments like that no, sorry. Go ahead, Ethan. No, no I was no. gonna say just moments like that, or like that. That almost is those were Easter eggs before Easter eggs became that thing. It was, it was, it was that that first stab at doing Easter eggs in movies. So were little bits like that. Okay, so I have two questions. Um, well, first off, before I even get to my questions, let's just say this movie was released December 6, nineteen ninety one, thirty years ago. Uh, the budget was twenty-seven million, which is pretty good for a movie in nineteen ninety-one. Actually, I, would, I have uh, a lot to say about this. This is like a big point of analysis yes. for me of this film. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Uh, it made almost a hundred million dollars in the box office, made ninety-six million. So, Star Trek is still very bankable at this point. I will say one of the things that I liked about the movie is that I thought you could see the money on screen. I thought the widescreen cinematography is pretty beautiful, was was, was pretty beautiful. I thought the costumes were great. I like that uh, the all of the aliens sort of look in a way, and maybe this is like for Star Trek fans, this is like a pretty banal thing to say, but like in 1991, the masks, the creatures could have looked better, but it there's something about it looking a little bit better than the show, but still kind of like the show mm-hmm. in a way, which I which I like. But my two questions are, one, I knew that it was probably a political allegory of some kind because you don't tell that story without it being a political allegory. But I, I didn't get that it was the wall. I mean, is that just because that was happening right around that time? Or was there, are there specific, is, was there something specific that I missed? And two, who the fuck is Worf? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, do you want to go, do you want to take one yeah, or two? sure. So what we explicitly made it. Okay, so just to say the plot of this movie, it's the last original series, original cast movie. And it basically, it's like a big swan song send off the original series cast. And the plot that they're going through is this kind of Tom Clancy Cold War pot boiler, where basically there's a big peace conference between the Klingons and the Federation, but elements within the the Federation and the Klingon Empire don't want peace to be made because they don't trust each other and all they know how to do is be at war. And so the crew of the Enterprise has to come to the rescue and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So what are the explicit allegories there? I mean, I guess what you one thing it helps to understand is that originally going back to the 60s with the original series, it's like the Klingons were the Russian stand-ins. Mm-hmm. The whole thing with Star Trek is it's everything is an allegory. It's this very classic kind of Star Trek where everything is an allegory. So at a really basic level, like the Klingons are the Russians and the Romulans are the Chinese. And um, that's and then the Federation is the Americans. 
So this movie is about the Federation and the Klingons signing a peace deal. And you have these rogue generals. I mean, this is like the plot of GoldenEye, basically. Like a rogue (laughs) post-Soviet general who can't handle peace, wants to bring everybody back to war. And like, that's what's happening in in this movie. And it's on both sides, which is interesting and, and controversial. And I mean... There's a lot to, I mean, Evan, I mean, do, like, do, or Ethan, sorry, do, do, do you agree with me? Like, am I, am I doing a good job? Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's fair. I mean, that, that's definitely the thing that, that, that Gene Roddenberry always wanted to do was reflect the, the present day uh, circumstances in the far future. His idea though, was that it was a more utopian existence. Right, so we right. were past things like fear and, and, and intolerance and prejudice, but there still had to be these sort of, uh, of, of, of enemies out there. So the Klingons were that for a little while because the, their regime was very warrior centric and, 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 and that sort of uh, compared to the Federation uh, dip, diplomacy first mission. I would almost even say the Federation is even more United Nations because they tried to, right. include, even though it was based on earth, it tried to include a lot of alien life forms in it and everything and tried to get other people to join the Federation. The idea and they don't want anything in return and nobody can believe it, but they, guess what they don't want a goddamn (laughs) thing in return they're just good people (laughs) the one thing i'd say about the wall i think i think the 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 first shot of undiscovered country is that planet uh uh, practice i believe is called exploding and so that the the ripple outwards of that is sort of the mirror of the destruction of the wall in that case it's that idea of this thing that used to symbolize power in this case it was the the klingon uh energies a prime klingon energy source explodes and the ripples extend outward in the same way that when the when the wall fell there was those images of people rushing through the wall and things like that that idea that something that used to be a source of power has now been broken so that 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 would be the specific Uh, visual allegory i enjoy you guys talking about this more than i enjoyed the movie because again little ripple effects of the of the, they, they spent well, a lot and i will say no no i kind of like i like Wait, i want to say one th- i want to say but... one thing about this first which is that but i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> so i agree with you ethan but also i guess this is supposed to be an allegory for like chernobyl which especially at yes, the time yeah. people thought the chernobyl incident like directly led to the fall of the soviet union right, so like right. the first thing that happens is this like energy source disaster and then very shortly afterwards they come there's a peace you know peace talks begin right right, right. yeah no that, yeah that no that's a good point too yeah chernobyl is definitely very much in the in the mindset and that idea of yeah this this energy source exploding and the ramifications of that uh, luckily there's no toxic radiation that 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 apparently hits people yeah so, just a know, fucking bunch of planets explode like whatever it's whatever whoever's happens. left on there it happens <laughs> what can you say you know um now ricky say your uninformed thing you were gonna say you still want to know who Warp is, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can get back to that in a minute. Maybe we'll just save that till the end of the podcast. You'll yeah, I don't want to spoil it for you. It'll be the thing. It'll be the thing that keeps me here. <laughs> yeah, I can already uh, see that you're like checking your email. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, okay, what are we talking about now? Well, no, I no no no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, well, no, I I was just gonna say. Uh, I liked the effects and I liked that ripple at the beginning, but, and I, I was really trying, I was really trying to be like, I know Star, Star Trek is, uh, is, is, is allegorical often. And, uh, I, I really think I could get into Star Trek, but there was something about, and I don't know if it's like an age thing where it's like, I didn't get into it when I was younger or job jumping into it. Now I really just felt totally alienated mm-hmm. like the whole time. And I, it's, I don't think it's Star Trek. Like I just, I want to make that very clear that like I'm not like <laughs> anti Star Trek and I'm not like fucking nerds in Star Trek. I, I think Star Trek's really cool and I wish I could get into it, but like 
I turned it on and it's like the humming of the enterprise in the background the whole time. Like, so even if you're like lightly bored, there's a humming sound of the enterprise in the background. And it's just like sitting, it's, it's like your refrigerator humming in an empty apartment or something. And it's just like, I, I, I don't know that, that, that was part of it as well. And I noticed that halfway through the movie. And I, I just say, like, what is that? I have a good, humming. I have oh, a good friend. Shit. I have a good friend who's a big Star Trek fan and she does all of her work to a, like an 18 hour YouTube video of the enterprise humming. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it makes her feel like you're actually working starship hours where it's, yeah, a, it's right. never, uh, never daylight. Just always the darkest space. <laughs> that makes sense to me though. That, that I would do. Right. But like try to engage in a story one that I'm just feel like I'm being dropped in the middle of, right? Like I, I, I felt like I was like, like I, like someone, like if you brought somebody over and you're like, Hey, let's watch season four of, uh, or episode four of season four of the wire. I mean, it's like, so much come worse on in. than that, Ricky, because this is literally like 20 plus years into the existence of right. Star Trek. Yes. Yeah, it's like, the 25th anniversary. That, yeah, the yeah, 25th anniversary, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. When this came out. Yeah. So you were talking about the budget and stuff, Ricky, yes. and it's so we're at fifty. We're at the fifty-fifth anniversary now of Star Trek. Yep, just about, yeah. just celebrated fifty-five years. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half a century or over half a century. Yeah, it's crazy. Um. Math. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the budget. I, I'm eager about the budget. The budget yeah, so I, the I, thing there's is, some great stories here that Chris, that Chris could take on. <laughs> you know, you please jump in whenever, Ethan. But it's sure. basically like. So the, the whole tension in the whole Star Trek movie universe, especially, is like, you know, William Shatner wants to be a big deal. Captain Kirk mm-hmm. is a big deal. Captain Kirk is the star of the series, but William Shatner is not the star of making the movies, right? So now everybody else basically thinks he's an idiot and doesn't know what he's doing. And so finally he gets, to, he directed the previous movie to this, Star Trek The Final mm-hmm. Frontier, which is like where the crew like fights God, <laughs> like that is like literally they the find plot the of false God. Yeah, it's right. False exactly. God, but that's basically literally the plot of the movie. It was this right. huge disaster movie, like to the point that where it's like one of these moments where everybody's like, they're never going to make a Star Trek thing again. <laughs> like it's mm. impossible that they're going to let us do another one of these. And this next movie was in development for so long. There's like a million different ideas for it. It was supposed to be forty one million dollars. Actually, the budget. The last movie was thirty three. But they were like, no, <laughs> you don't get 41. It, like They cut it in stages until yeah, eventually it was 26. And there's all kinds of shit they had to do because of this. Like they're reusing models from like 20 years ago and they're having to shoot on the set of the next generation while the next generation is not using the set. But then it's like the next generation is like higher status than them. They're like, look, we need the fucking set back. You just got to wrap up your little dumb movie you're doing. You know, get off. Patrick Stewart. But that's so weird because I thought it, I thought it looked great. Right. Well, that, that's a testament to Nicholas Meyer there. I mean, it's funny too because you're mentioning talking about the sets. Apparently, not all the sets were dressed, so they would just let certain parts of the set fall into darkness, and so there was literally nothing there. It was just it was just it was just dark. They just kept it dark off there, and you you and, and that was to give it the sense of grandeur. But really, it was just they didn't have any other set to show. So, <laughs> I mean, there's stuff where like the ship is rocking, but yeah. I also thought that was just like kind of signature Star Trek, I right? Mean, yes, the ship is. is rocking, and everyone's like, oh. <laughs> like, like like even though even if you have a bigger budget you're not going to cut that because that's that's like a signature of the show that that's how that's how they respond to being fired at yeah. yeah yeah i mean i guess it's more stuff like you know effects stuff not getting as many effects and then literally like having to reuse these old 
broken models from other Star Trek movies and like yeah. literally having to shoot on somebody else's sets. And like you were saying they didn't dress everything. Like apparently there's stuff they didn't even change all the labels on all the doors. And, you know, they all <laughs> they all just are the same exact set from the next generation. And yeah. they just like moved the chair a little bit, you know. <laughs> so other Star Trek movies look better than this one. I, I would say they all look. Uh, I think the fact that this looks as good as it does is a testament again to Nicholas Meyer, who yeah, came on yeah. board. He he did Star Trek too, and that was also made for much less money than the first Star Trek movie, which was another sort isn't, of famous boondoggle situation. Robert Wise isn't two isn't two largely considered the best the best of the movies, right? Exactly, and that was done that was done on a on a budget compared to number one for sure, and 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 then they started progressively getting more money again because two helped reignite the franchise, and that's how William Shatner was able to get thirty three million to waste on his boondog oh basically, crazy. and then Nicholas Meyer had to come in at the very end to be like, okay, I'll, I'll finish this off for you at, at a price. I'll, I'll I'll be the the one to do that for you. And there's also the one where they go back to um, San Francisco in the eighties. That's like that's a very cool. popular beloved yeah. movie that's like a good movie i mean you might just enjoy that as a movie ricky because it's it, it mostly takes place in 1980s san francisco exactly yeah but it's the star trek people are there right well the thing i, I liked about that so much one. as a kid was it, was it came out the year after back to the future so i love back to the future obviously <laughs> at that point and so i was just like oh this is back to the future just with space people great okay you know like yeah. like that that's what that's what hooked me just knowing it was a back to the future thing it is it's and like then, back to and, the future from the other point of view it's like right. the people from the future coming back to here you know <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. The, yeah. That that time travel element was 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 in my mind at that point. Ricky is just nodding yeah. in the background. <laughs> I, I do also want to say just about Nicholas Meyer some more because yeah. he's a really important person in the Star Trek franchise because he comes along with Star Trek 2 as Ricky said like that was the one that really was uh, th that's considered the best still uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with you know <laughs> that's true there First are Contact movies. is the best movie I mean let's just be real that First but, Contact yeah. is very very good that's true yeah. but what he did when he came on was he sort of reinvented what Star Trek could look like because Roddenberry uh, had this very western idea in mind Wagon Train to the Stars as you said earlier yeah, Chris, right. the idea of like this they're patrolling the frontier nicholas meyer comes in he's a brit he doesn't care about westerns he's he's not really a western guy he's like i'm going to make a naval adventure in right. outer space and that's what star trek 2 is you watch star trek 2 and the way those battles are choreographed are these giant ships sort of pulling alongside each other like the ships of old in, in the sea and firing at each other it's like master and commander basically so he has that idea for star trek 2 it gives star trek its own action identity compared to stuff like star wars and things like that and suddenly you realize oh star trek can work as a big screen action uh adventure movie and 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 it's 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 it's, it's a really key moment in the franchise because without that you don't get three four five and and up to six and this movie is really like in that same vein I mean, they they have Ohura at one point talking about a ship being rigged for silent running. And you're like, mm -hmm. it's fucking outer space, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything is rigged for silent running in outer space, right. you know? But yeah, this apparently... Seems like a yeah, Roddenberry hated all that shit. He hated it right, being... Exactly. He hated the naval theme because he wanted it to be like free love and outer space and everybody's perfect. And he also hated... And this a big part of this movie is about like the Federation people having to confront their bigotry and talk about their racism towards the Klingons. And like, he hated all that, you know, he was like, nobody is racist in the Federation. Like these people are all perfect. Shut the fuck up. And he was apparently like dying while they were making this movie. And he was still yeah. having these meetings with Nicholas Meyer where Nicholas Meyer was leaving at like storming out after five minutes, you know, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny. well. The other great thing he adds to this one, though, apart from the naval stuff, he also and you were talking about this earlier, sort of the mystery elements. It's almost like an English parlor room mystery where Spock is like Bulldog Drummond or someone, yes, like going yes, around solving things. You know, it's kind of great. You have these moments where he's like leading the Enterprise crew down the hallways, saying, "Okay, check the lockers." Yeah, and, you know, looking at clues. It's that kind of like that. And again, that's a very British tradition. So they are literally like opening up drawers looking for clues in this movie, <laughs> which is like imagine a JJ oh, Abrams that, movie doing that. <laughs> that was my favorite sequence of the movie which right. was when she pulls kim cattrall pulls the boot out of the locker and then puts it on the locker or right. something in terms of like, because it's gravity because it's gra- gravity boot you see so it right. can stick it's a like gravity that. boot yeah yeah but yeah but but it's fun to see what nicholas meyer brings to it because it is a very distinct vision Identity. i think of what trek can be and and it, and it helped influence i mean i think star trek 2 that's the one that jj abrams used as sort of the basis for his action version of trek when he comes along later so it is it, it, it he is really instrumental so it's appropriate in a sense that he was brought in to to finish the the original crew off because he was the reason that they were able to get to six to begin with yeah. also the assassination scene is great yes yeah where the klingons yeah, get shot and the blood sort of you know, gravity list flow out. I thought that part, I thought that scene was pretty great. And that's yeah. very like creative for Star Trek because yeah. basically yeah. they never acknowledge that you could be weightless. And if they do, it's like so poorly done, but the <laughs> sequence was like reasonably well done, like especially for 1990, 1991. Right. Yeah. And like you're saying, there's those big 3d globs of blood. I remember that like my whole childhood thinking that was like the coolest looking thing I had ever seen. Um, Because it was like, oh, yeah, that's what it would be like in space. That's so fucking cool. (laughs) Uh, And the hands, you know, severed arm and stuff. That was actually kind of gory at that point. Yeah, totally. And arms floating around. You never, you you wouldn't see that usually in in Trek. Things never got that gory. Although it was at the end of the first season of Next Generation, they had that whole thing where that guy's head exploded. Which (laughs) apparently is this famous thing, speaking of England, that didn't air in England for like 20 years or something (laughs) after. It was banned from British television for being too disgusting. (laughs) I'm just um give me one second here to to confirm. Sure. Okay, yeah. So, it shouldn't surprise me considering like who runs the internet and who writes on the internet, but the Wikipedia yes. for Star Trek 6 Undiscovered Country mm-hmm. is about as long if not longer than the Wikipedia for Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> like, I mean, we're talking about a like four hour movie mm-hmm. that's like extremely significant classic significant in his and then and then we're talking about the sixth entry right. in like yeah. one of the many star trek series of movies and tv shows this is what i was gonna say. i was gonna say this too i cannot tell you how long this wikipedia entry so is long. for star trek six with with some of the most banal <laughs> fucking <laughs> like detail possible Here's one. Meyer and his friend Denny Martin Flynn wrote the screenplay by the nascent means of email. <laughs> what? Nascent means of email? Dude, it fucking rules. Star Trek fans are great. This is one of the things I wanted to say about this is like, because it's a Star Trek movie, like there is so much information about this movie and everything Star Trek, because Mm -hmm. not only are the like internet nerds so interested in it, but these people have been making money going to conventions for 30 years. And they have said literally everything they could possibly say about this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like this Wikipedia is combed from like every possible person on the crew and in the cast (laughs) saying Every last Articles, drop of knowledge books, that they conventions. could possibly have about it, right? Like the minutest fucking, 
supporting person extra an extra in the background of the ship (laughs) on a panel at a convention being asked um actually when we paused it at uh 33 14 and then in slow motion uh went 20 seconds ahead clearly there was a light above you that turned on and she's like oh that's an interesting point actually there was a thing about the lighting was that it was and now it's in the wikipedia dude ricky uh last year i went to this thing which maybe you know about ethan uh like trek conderoga do you know about this it's this guy in Ticonderoga, Wait, New York. Ethan, do you know about it, or did you just nod politely? No, no, I know, I know about okay. it. Okay, I haven't been to it, but, but no, Chris can be it the was, first one I couldn't it. tell if it was like you knew or you went, oh. <laughs> I'm humoring you. No, no, I've definitely, yeah, I've heard of it. It's a guy in Ticonderoga, New York, who's like used to be an Elvis impersonator, I believe, who then spent like an obscene amount of money to build an exact recreation of the original series. Um, set in this like old walmart or something it's an old grocery store i think like with you know in exacting detail as possible like you know the things that they had like you know kirk's bedsheet is just some cheap ass bedsheet they got from sears or something but they like went to find the same cheap ass bedsheet from sears like that level of stuff and i took the tour at this place man like it's fucking crazy dude people work there that's their job and they make enough to stay employed (laughs) they almost really the main threat to their existence was when cbs reignited on the star trek franchise Mm -hmm. they they used to let people shoot fan movies there and all kinds of stuff but they were basically almost got sued out of existence by paramount who was like you can keep this if you never film anything here ever again you know (laughs) Can I tell you, I, I looked up at my other monitor for a second where I have like uh, the internet tabs for, for research, basically. I mean, the two Wikipedias. And uh, I looked up and I forgot which Wikipedia I was on. And the first thing that I saw was Legacy. Film director Steven Spielberg considers this his favorite film of all time. <laughs> I was like, and I was like, <laughs> Star Trek VI? The un- oh, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the fun reading in that in that wikipedia entry is like all the failed versions of star trek 6 too because they went through a lot of different versions and one of the best ones is the walter uh koenig uh, koenig version that uh that chekhov wanted to write he he had he had this whole idea that uh is called uh, sort of in flanders fields was the was the, was the working oh, title for idea. it according to wikipedia and uh and yeah you could you can find the uh the, the, the apparently the idea was that all the crew was too old to go off and go on this mission that they had to go on and then they wind up going anyway because the younger enterprise crew gets captured along with all the romulans that they're going to go help and then most of them die is basically the, yeah, the basically thing. all the them. characters die except like spock maybe or something right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. like pretty awesome there's another version they were going to do where it was i mean this is just dumb shit this is basically like ghostbusters 2 but right. it's at least like a little fun it was going to be like each member of the crew was on their own little you know adventure like yeah. chekhov is in a chess club <laughs> and uhura's hosting a call-in radio show <laughs> and like um yeah, i think somebody else is like driving a cab like sulu right. maybe was driving a cab. yeah sulu driving cab right yeah just, yeah, it's fun. All just having some fun because at this point they're fucking old as hell these people right. 
And then there was the one they were going to do a prequel, and that way right, the old right. cast would show up as the at the beginning and sort of hand off to the younger cast, and then it would be sort of like Starfleet Academy was the idea. And that Starfleet Academy was an idea they'd been kicking around forever. They kept thinking like, oh, we can just do the younger selves, but they yeah. they never got it off the ground until They're kind of that's what this show Prodigy is, but also not at all. Like it's right. also yeah. not at all what that you know. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Ethan, you know, every week on this show, we ask three questions at the end of the show. Um, the first one is really simple, and it's just, what was your favorite part of the movie? Favorite part, and and, and this is, it seems weird because it's, it's not any part of the actual movie, but I love the signatures at the end. I think I think getting the cast to sign their names on, over the final images, that just, that got my heart. I, love I loved it. And like, even watching it again now, I was just like, oh, look, they signed their names. There's, it's just a like, beautiful too. little touch uh, of, of, of the film. In terms of actual scenes, I love that Scotty gets to kill the assassin in the big scene at the end. <laughs> yeah, that is when, so when weird. When James right? Durand gets to break down the door and gets an action scene, love it. Go like, Scotty. Maybe I, I, the first I, I, time I ever, right? right? He's got like a big, he fucking kills that guy, right? Right. It's, yeah. He's never shown any inclination to just cold-blooded murder, and he did it. I think that's great. He like, shoots him that. in the back, I think. <laughs> right, right. He's just like, hey, and like blows him away. Yeah. That, 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 I think that uh, since everyone has to sort of get their final moment in the movie, I love that that's Scotty's, is that he kills someone, you know? <laughs> um, Ricky, what about you? Did you have a favorite part? My favorite part of the movie, uh, I really like the signatures at the end. There was like, that was the only moment that I was like, had any kind of emotional gravitation towards the movie whatsoever. I was so cold the whole time, <laughs> trying desperately to not be cold, but still left cold. But then the signatures happened. And I was like, oh, people like this. That's so nice. Uh, they like this so much that like that means something to them. And that's really great. Um, and I don't even mean to sound sarcastic. It's nice when people like things. But my favorite part of the movie was um, when the alien gets kicked in his genitals and his genitals are on his knee. Famous part of the movie. And right. Iman, Iman is like, uh, not everybody's genitals are in the same area. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about the cast, but I mean, I'll just yeah. say it as my favorite part um, to, so we can talk about it a little bit. Like, I mean, Christopher Plummer is basically the main bad guy yeah. in this movie as this um, Shakespeare quoting Klingon who is his whole personality is quoting Shakespeare. Right. And he is obviously having like a fucking ball doing this part and like acting like completely deranged. He's like smirking at the camera all the time, <laughs> quoting Shakespeare. And, you know, he seems to be operating on a level like 10,000 layers above everyone else which tech he is supposed to be in the movie you know right. so yeah, it really yeah. works as a performance <laughs> but i thought he's so much fun to watch anytime he's on screen it's like even right up until the moment his fucking dies in an explosion it's great right. he's doing great stuff in this movie he is. And what's fun about him, too, I mean, it's, it's worth noting, like, he and Shatner are both from Canada. They were both born about two years apart from each other, and they came up through the theater scene uh, in, in Canada. They, they worked at the Stratford Festival, and apparently uh, Shatner understudied for uh, Plummer when it, when uh, Plummer was doing Henry V in Stratford. So they knew each other forever, but they never worked together after they both went off and found fame in Hollywood. So this is the first time since they're like days as theater kids that they got to play opposite that each other. Nice. And you can tell it's great. And the fact that it's Shakespeare is perfect in joke. I mean, like, like that's the only way they could ham it up opposite each other is if, is if they had Shakespeare as, as the common element. It's just funny because it is, I mean, Ricky, what you're saying about the, um, 
feeling like you're watching the fourth season of some TV show. I mean, that is kind of the challenge of a lot of Star Trek stuff in general is like you have this core cast and then everything has to introduce a new like villain or, you know, like a kind of MacGuffin into it. And I think Christopher Plummer, like you're saying, he does a really good job of seeming like he's on their fucking wavelength and he knows what they're thinking. And it's like, part of it is of course the writing, but a part of it is this like him, you know, like, and, you know, having this personal relationship with the actors and like right. he fits in really well and you really believe he exists in their universe, which you don't always believe. I mean, it's kind of a classic problem in Star Trek that people just don't get how to do the lines. They don't right. get what the tone is supposed to be like, and it just doesn't work. And I mean, I'm talking about like films, you know, like <laughs> multi-million dollar motion pictures where people right. obviously just don't get what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Oh, Plummer nails it. Plummer feels like he was destined to be in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. So good. He's so good. Yeah. Well, well, it's funny to that point, Chris. I mean, I'm even thinking of like Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three. Yeah, I was what I was going to say too. Who who didn't who didn't seem to know what all what he was doing? And I think yeah, I think it's true. Like some people come in and you expect them to be great, and they can't they can't quite find out. They they can't figure it out. I mean, it's always great on the TV show to just watch how they say like really normal things like phasers or sensors. (laughs) Sometimes you get like a really serious good actor on, and they're like, "There's nothing on sensors." And you're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, and like, they couldn't do another take to just tell him to say censors. I mean, come the fuck on. Um, and, I also wanted to ask you, I was curious, like, like since this is your, like your first Trek movie, like when I saw Star Trek four, one of the things I liked about it was even though I didn't know any of the characters, like all the characters got beats and I got who their personalities were based on that. And that, and so then when I went and watched more Trek, I, I got, I, I felt like I already knew them Did, when you saw like, did you get a sense of who Chekhov was based on this or Sulu? Like, did you get their personalities in those moments that they were assigned in, in, in the movie? No, the only person <laughs> who I really got was the uh, was the woman who does like the Klingon call with somebody else. Like, that was someone that I got. Oh. And I sort of felt like I was supposed to already be in check. Mm. But like, it, the movie it felt so concerned with the Klingons that I wasn't getting enough, and I got some Spock, but I wasn't really getting enough of the other characters to really get a sense of their personalities. It felt like I should have already known them and known what their their role was. Right. Okay. Um, of course, this movie's from 30 years ago, so uh, what do you think the most 90s thing about this movie is, Ethan? <laughs> I, I, well, Amon is one obvious answer. I think, like, 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 like the, the age of Amon was that cigar smoking Amon, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that was that 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 encapsulates the 90s. But the, the thing I was thinking about, funnily enough, was the title. I mean, like, like the eighties and nineties were the era of franchise name, part number, and then subtitle, right? <laughs> And now that's gone right. away. Like, like, like we now either have like a, a franchise name and like subtitle, like Spider-Man Homecoming or whatever. And when there's a number in it, it's like a Fast and the Furious thing, like Too Fast, Too Furious. But this was the era we still had, like Halloween Part Six, The Curse of Mike. You know, like, like that was this was that the era. Avengers well, Part Ten, End Game. <laughs> like, you don't see that construction anymore. It's true, much more. Yeah. yeah, it's all. It's all now. It's all either like original titles or numbers aren't aren't handled at all well i think because now they're trying to hide the number that it is right they're like like chris just said avengers 10 endgame they don't really want it to say the number because that they i bet there's some marketing that has been done some focus grouping that has been done that has shown like the higher the number the more likely the audience is to be like yeah like how uh, could it still be good i bet it sucks you know Right. (laughs) right whereas if you just take the number away 
<laughs> and say, Jason takes Manhattan, you're good to go. You're like, oh, interesting, huh? You're huh, golden. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Maybe I, should go. I should go see that now. It's on a number, so therefore, you know, I don't have to know anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think Jason takes Manhattan is actually Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's party. Friday the 13th. Right. Yeah, exactly. Good, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, it, that, that, that is a good one. But yeah, no, it's funny to me to sort of like see that again pop up now. Because yeah, you so rarely see the, the, the number factor into the movie. That's really true, yeah. <laughs> um, Ricky, what, what did you think the most 90s thing was? So there was this trend in the late 80s going through the 90s where uh, every every movie, no matter how serious it was, no matter how base it was, had to have a character hit in the genitals. And it always happens where like someone gets hit in the genitals and they go, Urgh! and the other character who hit them in the, in the genitals is like so surprised that it's worked. And they're like, Urgh? And uh, they're both making like Tim Allen type sounds. And uh, this movie has that. And I've mentioned it before. And I think that is actually the most 90s aspect of the movie. That even though the dick is not in the spot where the dick normally is, there's still a dick shot. <laughs> it's a very... Chris, we have talked yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, 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 as connoisseurs, right? really masters at this point of movies of the 90s, mm-hmm. at least the first two years of the 90s, <laughs> You can you can say how many how many shots to the dick we've seen. Right. It's true. Well, it was just like a really it's important shocking part of cinema at the time. Yeah. <laughs> part of it's it. shocking. <laughs> it, like you will you would not believe how many moments there is someone in in ostensibly serious movies suddenly be like go oh and like cross eyed and like falling down. <laughs> oh my god. It was an obsession. It was a '90s obsession. Yeah, like what? It's just. It's. I don't know. Like what? What is that? It's just like any. You know, you got these guys sitting around writing these movies, and they're like, "Okay, right. what would be like the craziest thing that could happen right <laughs> now?" Oh, she kicks him in the dick. No <laughs> shit, bro. Oh, that, that would hurt so bad. Oh, that would, would be hurt like so. Bad. Oh my god, I'd be like, oh, oh. <laughs> be like eyes are crossed. Oh. Oh my God! Can you fucking imagine? <laughs> can, can we say something without Mary? Like ended that was the Franks and Bean scene, the the the, the, the thing that that put a capper on that whole thing in the nineties. I would say ended it and was also the funniest version yeah, of it. There we go. <laughs> it always building up to that. And Star Trek is part of that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, my answer is Chris. What about you? Yeah, what is not, the most nineties thing? I, it's not as fun as that at all. But it's like. Um, I mean, I was talking about how this movie is like a Tom Clancy plot in a lot of ways, like a clear and present danger or whatever. Um, and I think, and it is like ostensibly about the the Berlin Wall falling and the reproachment, <laughs> but like there's something about combining that m- motif with it being this like huge send off to the original series cast, like down to them signing their names at the end. It has this very like end of history vibe, which if you guys are familiar, it's like Fukuyama, this idea like, yeah, that somehow in the nineties we had like progressed beyond history. And it really has that feeling, right. That like we've been freed from the past and now we have no idea what's going to happen from here on out. Um, And I think that was a very like, especially early 1990s, feeling you know maybe more in like geopolitics than in films but i think it finds its way into films too you know yeah, absolutely no oh, oh we almost forgot the, the other most 90s thing early 90s uh, christian slater popping oh up. yes yes this is a great <laughs> I mean, we had to mention that i mean like like so apparently the story of, 
apparently the story of this is his wife his mother was the casting director the casting for the director movie. yeah mm-hmm. put him in the movie and he claims to have stolen his uniform which was the um uniform from star trek 2 like kirk's uniform from star trek 2 <laughs> um which is pretty funny yeah he's just a star yeah. trek fan he just shows up it's a kind of a cool scene right where it's like the middle of the night and he's waking up captain it's captain sulu right or is captain it captain sulu, right waking him up to be like there's a freaking emergency man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's perfect early 91 like early 90s slater too so amazing hair. Hair still. yeah right exactly it's for it's it's like cuffs era uh christian slater which is which is yeah because it's post heathers right yeah. right yeah, yeah. it's same years as uh robin Hood, prince of thieves he just had done that that year and yeah so it's was... a big ca- so it's a big cameo right like yeah, he's it's a big a, star okay yeah yeah. yeah, he's a big star. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah, it's yeah. huge. And, and the fact that he's in shadow at first because you're not supposed to know who he is, even though it's clearly like a guy who sounds okay. like Jack Nicholson, and there's only one person who could do that. And so, yeah, and then, a and child. Then <laughs> it's a child that sounds like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last question is just like, you know, it's been 30 years since this movie came out, and like, what is something that, you know, in movies in society that mm-hmm. we have like outgrown mm-hmm. since this movie came out? <laughs> I think on the Amman point, I think certainly there's some transphobic humor in that whole section. I think it's fair to say that has not aged well. Uh, Whenever Kirk reacts with like a revulsion of I kissed you and and things like that, that certainly has not held up as funny uh, anymore. But but to your point about like the larger sort of ebbs and flows of time, something that jumped out to me is just the whole idea of of a TV show finding success by having to be made into a movie. Uh, like, like that was the goal when you bet back in the, in the 80s and 90s. So like, if you were a TV show, you wanted to be a movie because I bet you were real. And now we're in an era where it, movies are almost secondary. Like the whole goal yeah, is right, to be right. a binge worthy. I mean, Trek, they're trying to get another movie made, but honestly, they, they're what, where they are successful now is on Paramount plus they have multiple series, prodigy discovery, uh, more coming down the pike card season two coming There's down the pike. Yeah. Exactly. Coming down the pike. Exactly. Right. Where <laughs> he's just like, what? Uh, but yeah, but, like that, that's where... James Pike. <laughs> The, the captain is named James Pike. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And he, yeah, so it's, it's a, and Star Wars also is on to Disney Plus, Marvel. It, it seems like movies, while they still have their place, the goal of franchises now is to be these binge worthy things you can watch on streaming services. So it is platform activations, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we sort of move past that era of where like TV shows feel they need to grow up by being on the big screen because there's no almost no financial incentive in it anymore. But I do think there's the experiment with TV shows becoming movies again, but they're not going to go to theaters. They're going to be like the right. Deadwood movie. Right. They're going to be like the Breaking Bad movie, right? I mean, Where many they're going to be. Of Newark was basically that, like not entirely, but kind that of. That was supposed to go to theaters, but the pandemic saved it from that much embarrassment. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh yeah, I got to quietly live on uh on HBO Max instead. People who were interested saw it and were puzzled. And then most <laughs> nobody else saw it to make fun of it, you know, like I saw it. I I I loved the first 10 minutes of it. I didn't see. It. I didn't watch it. It didn't seem like it was for me. I didn't really care that much. But you don't really like the Sopranos, right? I like right? the Sopranos, but I know I'm not like obsessed with the Sopranos. I love I see I love the Sopranos. I don't think I'm obsessed. Like if you I can't really call episodes by memory but if you throw an episode of the sopranos on in front of me i'm very happy it's an <laughs> extremely fun show and like a raccoon the movie, with a ball of tinfoil is that like what you're yeah <laughs> uh and the movie has like some elements here and there that feel like the the show some of the humor 
but it's a disaster. It's a, <laughs> wow. Uh, Here's where I dropped the bomb. Uh, I really liked uh, Many Saints of Newark. I, I, I was totally. Did you really? I was really all in on it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. And I'm not a Soprano super fan. I, I, I could go on at length about why I liked it, but I, it really worked for me. And, and a lot of it was just like the Alessandra Nivola character, who I really like. I thought was a really great creation. And carried me through. Well, I thought the I I mean my favorite part was when he's fantasizing about coaching the blind baseball team. Mm-hmm. And they're all touching yeah. him going, You're a saint. Right. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> just a double way to like, such a like <laughs> such a fuck you on David Chase's part. Like he clearly got a note from someone that was like, Can you make the title more explicit? And he was like, How about <laughs> this, you fuck? <laughs> Um, uh, stuff like that in it. I liked, I found the last act or the last hour to really just kind of like be muddled and, you know, fall fall apart. But right. I, I'm, I don't disagree with someone loving it. I kind of love that someone loved it. Cause that gives it more hope for me. <laughs> Maybe you'll discover it on a, on a, on a second. Yeah. 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 But yeah, but no, it isn't true, but it's true. Yeah. Like movies like that are sort of like, uh, that was done with the idea of like, Oh, be theaters, but it almost is better on HBO max like that. And, and Deadwood and things like that. These, if they do become movies, they live as like a reason to go back and watch the show. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think we've grown out of Ricky? Well, there was this thing, and and Chris kind of touched, or Ethan kind of touched on it, uh, in terms of how something about Mary kind of apexed it. But there was this thing in the '90s where they felt like they had to hit everyone in the genitals all the time, and uh, I think that starting it, like you know, by the end of the '90s, we stopped doing it, and so I think that we've kind of grown out of the need uh-huh, to have a uh-huh. dick, you know, a, a nut a nut tap, a nut punch, mm-hmm. a dick kick in, uh, in, in every movie. And, <laughs> like a jewel uh, smasher yeah, or like a, like a nut, yeah, like a nut cracker. Or like a, that's what I think that we've grown out of. Yeah. What? I only saw one part of it. I was like, I was like on my computer and then I heard, and I was like, dick punch. And I looked here. Ricky's like reading like one minute before the recording starts. He's reading the plot somewhere on, on Wikipedia. He's like, I don't remember any of this shit. Fuck. <laughs> that is possible. That. that is possible. I did. I did very much remember the, 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 the dick the, punch. Punch. Though, yeah, right. I can tell. Because because we've talked about that so much in in movies, and for Star Trek to have one just felt the it felt like it felt like of course it's the nineties. Right. Even Star Trek had to have had one. To have yeah, I mean, to me, the thing that we've who was the of... executive? Who was the executive in the late eighties, early nineties? That was like every script he got. He was like, "Great, add a dick punch." It's like that one, great, add a dick. Punch. Like that one Kevin Smith talks about that likes to put a giant spider in everything. Like he's that was that was John Peters. John Peters. John that Peters. was John For Peters. Own John Peters. Yeah. yeah. But just like Who's some executive, John Peters like, of dick punching. Like, <laughs> he's like Robert. He's like talking to Robert Townsend, and he's like Robert. We love your script. We love your script. It's really great. We've been talking, and we at page forty three. What do you think about on page forty three? The main character gets kicked in the genitals, <laughs> right? Or like Mr. Sorkin, Mr. Sorkin, malice. We love it. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it just feels like there's a moment that could maybe use a little bit of violence, but also a little bit of levity, right. you know. <laughs> How can we have you seen this thing we're doing in movies lately it's called the dick kick i got we have a we have a we have a reel can you tom can you play that, can you play that? <laughs> yeah, right. we have a 
<laughs> even Star Trek did it. <laughs> Look, he's getting his dick punched in outer space, and it's not even a dick. Like, so there's so lots there, of creative so, stuff we can yeah, do. Yeah, so right you here. can be creative. <laughs> so you can be creative, however you want. Look, however you want to do it, you can do it. Just do a dick punch. Just make it in there sometime. What I want to see is I want to see how Robert Townsend would do a dick punch. Yes. <laughs> maybe there's a quippy line before. Maybe there's a quippy line after. Maybe the dick that he kicked was sleeping with his his daughter. I don't know. It's, it's up to you, Bob. It's up to you. I, but I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what you come up with. <laughs> um, uh, Chris, what did you think? Yeah, for me, I mean, so we were talking about the budget before, and one of the things about the budget is that it was so small because there was a general consensus at the studio that, like, this is a niche thing for nerds, and, like, nobody, this is not, like, a mass product, right? And they were very surprised by the success of the movie. <laughs> and I think... There's actually, if you kind of reverse this question, I think that this movie kind of like not necessarily to its credit, it feels a lot like a Marvel movie sometimes. Mm. Like, like we're saying there's these like big celebrity cameos. They're, they're doing the kind of Marvel humor everybody hates now where they're going like, he's doing what? Oh, <laughs> his dick. Well, uh, I don't have that. Do you have that Spock? No, I don't have that. Oh, oh no. Like that's, they're doing that kind of shit. Like the whole movie. Like this basically is like the Avengers two, but it came out in 1991. And uh, it's very interesting to think of that as being like a niche thing. Nobody really cares about in 30 years becoming like the entirety of culture of the entire world. You know, <laughs> I, I will say though, where this movie differs from the way that Marvel does this type of humor is the scene that I was referring to earlier with the, the woman who's trying to do Klingon conversation and yeah. is looking up translations while doing it. I feel like Marvel movies live, live and die so closely to like uh, the rules that have created by like great storytellers that they wouldn't ever allow their heroes to be stupid or Dude. totally wrong or befuddled by something. Cause all the jokes in Marvel movies are always kind of like a Marvel character being like, did he just say what I think he just said? I think he did just say that. Are you turning green right now? You know, like there's no one being like, I am stupid and I don't know what to do. And I'm befuddled here because there's this idea that like our heroes can never be dumber than anybody else. So I, my favorite, my actual favorite part was probably not the dick punch, but was the scene with like the phone, the, the, the translation and them trying to figure it out because I feel like you actually never see that in superhero movies or in hero movies where they're just like, they don't know how to do the thing. And that has kind of, that is, there's a lot of that in this movie, this kind of feeling of like, Oh, I don't fucking know. I don't know. We're just like, yeah, you know, and they're like old men at this point. And the idea is somehow they've reached this, you know, venerated status. But in fact, they don't know what the fuck they've been doing at any point in their whole lives, you know? And that's kind of a fun take on the Star Trek mythos, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Here they are at the end. And they're, they're kind of, they're just kind of goofy and addled and everything. I don't know. I mean, just spin it around. I don't know. What yeah. the fuck, you know? <laughs> Science, yeah. They always had to argue. I mean, they, 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 Cass always says, like, the, the hardest thing is, like, sp spouting out the tech gobbledygook. So it's fun to see them sort of lean into that. And they're like, what? Yeah. I, I don't know what we're doing here. Oh, yeah, gobble I don't fucking know. What are you? <laughs> it's like a, it's like an episode really of Archer never or answered... something, you know? Right. <laughs> We never answered Ricky's question about who Worf was. I feel yeah. like we kind of have to answer that at some point. I mean, after you, please. Unless he ever cared. I don't I honestly doesn't strongly care. doubt he gives a shit. He is checking his email right now, but like... <laughs> 
if you want to say it, I support it 100%. Right. Okay. So Worf. Wait, wait, wait. We never talked about who Worf Yeah, was. yeah. I, was, I, I just realized that. We never answered your your, your number two question that you it's asked. Just like, motion, Ricky, just like motion, Ricky. Just like motion. Right. Going <laughs> so we can't, we can't under, we're not in front sure. Of my <laughs> eyes. In front of my eyes. <laughs> but Worf, uh, just so you know, is the uh, Michael Doran. He is the uh, Klingon security officer on uh, the Next Generation Enterprise. Um, so this is obviously after the, because in the next generation era, as Chris said earlier, the Klingons are on a tentative peace with, with, uh, Starfleet. And so, uh, officers are starting to serve in Starfleet, Worf being one of the, the first, and that was always some of the tension. He was a Klingon working within the Federation and, and, and there was, and he was the security officer. So, so, he, so he has a cameo okay. in this, but of course that's set, you know, a hundred years or something after this movie yeah. takes place. Um, and so this movie has a cameo of Michael Dorn playing a, like his own ancestor, like looking, wearing exactly the same makeup and the same wig. And they're calling him like chancellor Worf, but it's like, you know, <laughs> it's exactly the same thing, you know? Right. Um, yeah. he, he wasn't the muscle in this one. Here he was the legal mind. So somewhere along the line, like they, 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 he got, they got they, stupider they as they went. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know, Ethan, he is the person who's played him the same character in the most episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Cause deep space nine and right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Hey, hate to lose you, Ricky. Uh, it was so great talking to you about this movie. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you made you watch I I want to be involved. I just, I, I, there is something that is allergic. Right. It's not, and it's not the fault of Star Trek. It's not the fault of Star Trek fans. It is me. It's, it's an IQ you. thing. The, guy, the thing is, guys, I have like a middle IQ. I don't have a high or low. It's middle. I know, Chris, you're part of the like Facebook group with high IQ people. Yeah, don't believe in vaccines or whatever. Yeah, it's really uh, yeah. Mensa. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ethan, you're really smart. I, I'm just like, so I turn on Star Trek and I'm just kind of like, oh, I like the widescreen cinematography. <laughs> but then that just like doesn't really do much. And after like the first couple shots. I mean, to be clear, I'm saying all this bullshit. Like, I just think the ships look cool. Like, also, that's <laughs> exactly. like a big part of it. I, I like, I, I like transporting. Dogs. I want to be able to beam down to some planet. I would love to be able to beam down somewhere. That yeah, seems really like fucking that. cool. Yeah. I like their shirts. I like their yeah. weird Star Trek shirts in yeah. these yeah. movies. The ones that open up now, like that was always yes. <laughs> the constantly opening. Oh, that was gross. I thought the, I thought the shirt that opened up on Shatner looked great. I love it. I, I love that why. shirt that opens up. It, I think it's so cool. That, that that looked like something that he would tear like tear open in front of a, an intern, and I just did not. It just did not feel. And he's like not even wearing a shirt. It's like a dicky, and so like yeah. his boob is coming out between the dicky and the jacket. Yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, ooh, do you mind? Just like you here. Made me uncomfortable. Made me uncomfortable. Oh, lunch already. Right. Well, to, to Chris's earlier point, maybe like maybe the one to see if you do decide to see every more is is uh, first contact because that is basically point, yeah. an alien uh, an alien knockoff with the Borg, and that's and that's a lot of fun. It's a really it's 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 a really. Alfre Woodard is in it. She's really good. Right. You know, James. What's... I could do an alien knockoff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's his face? James, James Woods is in it. No, what's his name? Um, from yeah, Alfred, what, James Cromwell. James Cromwell. Yep, Cromwell. yep. Yeah, he's in it. Oh, if James Woods was in it, I'm all. In. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sadly, sadly. The only not. place I've ever seen James Woods in real life was like accidentally in a casino, and it seemed so appropriate. <laughs> like, just, awesome! Wow, yeah, it seemed cool. <laughs> um, but you know, 
Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. Like if people want to find you on the internet, where should they find you? Sure. Yeah. Come on over to Yahoo Entertainment uh, right there. And then I'm also on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. At, at, at what? At, oh, sorry. Yeah. What, dude? At, at, at dickpunch.com. Uh, no, I'm not on Twitter. Wait, that's my handle. Dickpunch.org. Thank you. Twitter handles at Ethan Alter. Um, that's great, man. Thank you so much. And just to remind everybody, come see us Monday, December 13th at Nighthawk Prospect Park. We're watching The Last Boy Scout at 9 p.m. with author of Tacky Rax King, a uh, James Beard finalist, a very talented author. I'm very excited to uh, involve in the disaster that's going to be our live show. <laughs> I think it's, don't miss 35 it. millimeter t- Tony Scott in 35 millimeter. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> thanks so much, everybody. Goodbye. Live long and prosper. Bye.